Well, turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. We're going to continue our study of the book of Daniel, of course, and we're seeing the final vision. In fact, chapters 10, 11, and 12 all go together. In this section, we see two things. We see the near future for the nation of Israel, which deals with that man named Antiochus Epiphanes, which we've talked about him before. But then we're going to see the far future for the nation of Israel from the time of Daniel, which even goes past us to the time of the Antichrist and, and those things. As we look at this passage, there's something we've got to remember. We've got to realize that that there is a spiritual battle going on, that we do not battle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual beings. Today we get a glimpse of that. In fact, when I read this, the very first time I ever read this, and this has been some years ago, I, I didn't realize that there were demonic beings that influenced nations. I didn't think about it that way. I was thinking that angels, bad angels, kind of influenced people, but I didn't realize then. Think about nations, and we'll see it as we go through this. As we look at this this morning, there's some great things there. Uh, we'll see uh, a little bit about the battle that's going on. When you think about the Christian life, people say, how do you, how do you live the Christian life? Well, I mean, there's a battle going on. Who's the enemy? The Bible talks about walking in the Spirit and, and uh, being filled with the Spirit. What does all this mean? Well, first of all, how do we live the Christian life? It is a walk of faith. In fact, I always say it's a walk of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit based on the Word of God. That's what it is. We take the truths of the Bible, we live them out in our lives in God's power. So that's, that's the, the Christian life. But then there's another aspect of it is, who is the enemy? The truth is we're in a spiritual battle. The enemy is not the unbeliever. I've had people say, oh, those people, those, those unbelievers, they're our enemy. They're not the enemy. And the enemy is not even the believer who believes different than you. The enemy is threefold. It's the world, the flesh, and the devil. And that's the aspect of it. The world, the flesh, the devil. The devil, the devil controls the fallen world system, and the fallen world system affects us. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against rural forces of darkness in heavenly places. As Daniel receives this final revelation in the book, we're going to see a spiritual battle. And it's really powerful in this chapter. And so as we begin, let's think about it. Let's remember what we've done. We've just finished chapter 9. Chapter 9 was incredible, especially verses 24 through 27, because that gives the information of the end times. That gives the Daniels uh, uh, 70 weeks. And we spent actually two lessons on that. Maybe we didn't need to, but I thought it was very important. But one of the things I want you to remember, that in Daniel chapter 9, you actually see both the first coming and the second coming of Jesus Christ. The whole Old Testament is looking forward to the Messiah who's going to come. And when the Bible talks about the Messiah coming, he comes the first time to die, and he comes the second time to reign. The book of Daniel in chapter 9, 24 through 27, actually gives you both of those things. If you remember, the Old Testament is looking forward. It says that God that was going to give 490 years to the nation of Israel. At the 483-year mark, the Messiah dies. That's his first coming. And then we know the church age, where the gap. And by the way, I want to make something clear because I didn't make it clear last week. When we talk about the tribulation and the church being taken out and the tribulation going on, we're not involved in the tribulation. That's the final seven years for the Jewish people. So don't worry. If you know Jesus Christ is Savior, one of these days Jesus is going to take us off, and then there's going to be this tribulation time period. At the end of the seven-year tribulation, Jesus Christ comes back. So that's the first coming. That's the second coming. So in Daniel chapter 9, we saw all of that. Of course, then we see the thousand-year reign of Christ and then on into eternity. So there's, there's some amazing things that we saw just in chapter 9. 
Now, what we do is when we get toward the end here, at chapters 10, 11, and 12 come together to form one final vision. Chapter 10 is the introduction. Chapter 11 is the main body of the prophecy. And we see the future to that man named Antiochus and then Antiochus to the, to the Antichrist and then the Antichrist to the Messiah. So all of that is in chapter 11. If you've ever read chapter 11, you, you will be confused. Because a verse will say, and the king of the north went against the king of the south, and the king of the south lied to the king of the north. And you just follow it, and you go, who are they talking about? I'm going to have a handout for you next week that actually goes through and tells you who these people are. Okay, But anyway, the main people are going to be Antiochus, the Antichrist, and the Messiah. And then, of course, there's the consummation, which is chapter 12, and that's the last of the book of Daniel, and there's some great things there. Then when we look at chapter 10, and we're going to go really quickly through the chapter this morning, uh, chapter 10 breaks down this way. First three verses, Daniel's in mourning. We'll talk about why is he so sad? Why is he in mourning? What's going on? Second thing is we're going to see Daniel sees this vision. And, and let me just tell you something. When you read the passage, you really can't tell whether there are two beings or one being. Somebody comes to Daniel, and one of them looks like Jesus. And then the other could be an angel. Or both of them could be just one, because you can't tell the way it's, about, the way it's written. So we'll talk about it as we go through the passage. But he sees this vision, and the messengers come, and we see the purpose. And so there's some great things there. So as we begin, let's think about it. God is preparing to give Daniel the final vision. Look at chapter 10. Look at verse 1. It says, Now in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belshazzar. And the message was true and one of great conflict. But he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. And we start this way, the first year, excuse me, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, this is about the year 534 B.C. Daniel is close to 90 years old. He'd been in captivity. The Babylonians came in in 605, 598, and 585 B.C., three different times. They came in and took the Jewish people off into captivity. Daniel was taken off when he was about 14 or 15 years old. The captivity lasted over right at 70 years. So he's 85 to 90 years old now. This is now Cyrus became the king of Persia and uh, the medial Persian Empire. That's, they conquered the Babylonians. So Daniel now is in the third year of the Persian Empire. If you remember... Going back, Daniel was raised up to a place of responsibility, of leadership in the medial persian Empire. So Daniel is an amazing man. But I want you to notice, it says, in the third year of the reign of Cyrus, king of Persia. What did Cyrus do? Who is this man? What did this king do? Well, he is the one in Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. He gave the decree for the Jewish captives to go back to Israel. Do you remember we said that they were going to be in captivity for 70 years? At the end of 70 years, a man by the name of Cyrus became the king of the medial Persian Empire. And he says in the writings, it's found in Chronicles, it's also found in Ezra, that that this king said... For some reason, I think it would be best for the Jewish people to go back and rebuild their temple and go back home. And he gave the decree to do it. And he even paid for them to go back and to build the temple. This is who this man is. He's Cyrus. He is also a leader that dealt with Daniel. So that's who he is. Now, they had been in captivity for all this time. Now, here's a question that I might say. Okay, if you're Daniel... You were 14 years old, 15 years old, and you were taken off into captivity. You have not been to your home in about 73 years. You're now close to 90. 
The question is, why didn't Daniel go home? Because Daniel's still here. In fact, he's by the Tigris River. He's still in the Medo-Persian Empire. Why didn't he go back home? Well, some say he, he was too old. He said, look, I can't make that trip. I'm 90 years old. I'm not going to be able to make a 500-mile trip back to where I used to live 70-something years ago. Others say he's got this authority. If you remember, he's been raised up to a position of responsibility in the Medo-Persian Empire. So <clears throat> he most likely, they probably said, don't go back. We need you here. Now, this, what we're about to see, because it says, if you notice in the verse 1, it says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the message was true. By the way, it's always true. And one of great conflict. God is about to tell Daniel what's going to happen to his people in the next four or 500 years. Now, if you ever have studied the Bible, you've always heard of people talk about the 400 silent years. The Old Testament ends with Second Chronicles, and you got these prophets like Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, and all that, and then the Old Testament ends. And from the time the Old Testament ends, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, and Second Chronicles, all the way to Jesus is 400 years. And there were no books written in the 400 years. And people call that the 400 silent years. But it's not silent. Because in Daniel chapter 11, Daniel actually gives us the history of what happens in that 400 years. And that's what we're going to see when you get to chapter 11. And I'll hand some things out to you. And the truth is, if you start reading it, if you go home and you say, I'm going to read chapter 11, I'm going to find out this history, you'll start reading it and you'll go, I can't understand. I don't know what they're talking about. King of the North, King of the South, King of the North, King of the South. King. That's what you'll see. I'm going to help put it together for you so that you can see how it fits. Now, Daniel's morning. Look what it says in verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. He's mourning. Look what it goes on to say. I didn't eat any tasty food. <laughs> I didn't eat any tasty food. I didn't eat meat or wine. It didn't enter my mouth. I didn't use any ointment. You know what he says? I didn't take any baths. See, and the idea of ointment was to take a bath and then put oil on your body. He says, I didn't do any of that for three weeks. Well, we probably wouldn't want to be around Daniel at this point in his life. But anyway, he says, I didn't eat any food. I didn't, I didn't put any ointment on until the entire three weeks were completed. Why is he so upset? Why is he mourning? Well, it could be because the people didn't go back. See, the people didn't go back. If you study the Bible, the Jewish people that were in captivity in Babylon got the, all, the right to go back to the land, and only 50,000 went back. That's all. Out of the millions. That's all. And I think Daniel said that his people did not go back to the land. And... Why wouldn't they go back? Well, some say that they just don't want, it's easier to stay because they had homes and everything there. And then when they would go back, the land was a mess and they had to start over and they had to build homes and they had to build the temple back and they had to build the city back and they had to start farms and they had all that where they were. It's just easier to stay where they were. But let me tell you, where were they supposed to go? Whose land was it? It's their land. God gave it to them under Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They were supposed to go back. And I think Daniel's mourning because a whole bunch of them did not go back. Notice in verse 4. On the 24th day of the first month, while I was by the banks of the great river, that is the Tigris. Now, this is the 24th day. How long has he been mourning? 
21 days. So almost the whole month. By the way, the first month is the month in which there's Passover and unleavened bread and the Feast of First Fruits. So three different feasts have gone by that he would have celebrated. But maybe he didn't celebrate them. We don't know what he did. On the 24th day of the first month, and that first month is called Nisan. And by the way, if you've got a Jewish calendar, we're almost to the month of Nisan right now. The end of this month, if you, you know, at the end of this month, we have what we call Easter. And Easter and Passover, Jewish calendar Passover and our Easter don't always match. Sometimes they do. This month, this year, it's going to match. Passover is on Friday night before Easter Sunday this year. So if you look at a Jewish calendar, so for, for, for these Jewish people, he, he's, he's looked at all this, 24, 24 days have gone by, the uh, tw- 24th day, 21 days have passed, and then what happened? Notice, I lifted my eyes, and I looked, and there was a certain man dressed in linen whose belt was girded, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold, of up as and and his body was like barrel and his face like the appearance of lightning. Good gracious! His eyes were like what torches. His arms and his feet like the gleam of polished of polished bronze, and the sound of his words were like the sound of a tumult. All of a sudden, he's out by the Tigris River. He's got other people with him. He looks up and he sees this person above the water, and this water. This guy's eyes are are like flames of fire, and he's 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 shining and he's bright and his I mean, it's just amazing. And his face was like lightning. And he looked at this person, and I'm sure it scared him to death. Now, who is that? Who could it be? Could it be an angel? We'd say it's it's probably an angel. But you know what? If you look in Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 16, that's the description of Jesus Christ that John saw. Most likely, some people say most likely, Daniel is seeing the pre-incarnate Christ. Daniel is seeing a picture of Jesus as Jesus comes and reveals himself long before he ever became a human being. That's called the pre-incarnate Christ. Sometimes that's called a Christophany, which means a Christ appearing. Sometimes it's called a Theophany, which means a God appearing. And we don't know who it is. It could be an angel. And let me tell you something else. As you read the passage, there's somebody that comes, you already remember reading it, somebody comes and touches Daniel two or three times. Well, is that the same person as above the water? It may not be. So there may be two people. There may be one of them is Jesus Christ and another one is an angel. Or it just may be one and the one above the water comes and touches Daniel. Or it may be both of them are angels. We have no idea. It doesn't, doesn't give us enough details. So what happens? I want to read it again, verse 6. His body was like beryl that was shining. His face had the appearance of lightning. It's just flashing. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet were like the gleam of polished bronze. It was like burning. And the sound of his words was like the sound of a, a tumult. It was just so loud. And then notice, now I, Daniel, I saw the vision. While the men who were with me, they didn't see the vision. Nevertheless, a great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. Whatever happened, the men got afraid and they left. And so it's only Daniel standing out there and he sees this being. The men were afraid. And watch what happens, verse 8. So I was left alone and I saw this great vision. Yet no strength was left in me, for my natural color turned to a deathly pallor and I regained no str- I retained uh, no strength. Look, he's about to pass out. We know this. 
that when you see an angel in the Bible, whenever angels appear in the Bible, people are always afraid. Whenever Jesus appears at certain times, especially Old Testament, people are afraid. What do you think it's going to be like when you stand before your Savior, Jesus Christ? You know what you're going to do? Every knee will bow. We will all fall before our God, our Savior, our King. If Jesus Christ appeared right here, right now, we'd all get on our faces. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the righteous, holy, perfect God who loves us with an unconditional, unchanging love. He is all-powerful. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. He knows everything. He can do anything. And, and when we see him, we're not going to go, Hey, you're the big man upstairs? We're not going to do that. We're going to fall on our faces because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So I actually think that this is how I interpret it. You can interpret it any way you want to. I think that this being above the waters is Jesus Christ. And I think when Daniel sees him, he has no strength left at all. And then verse 9, he says, I heard the sound of his words. And as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. Now you picture that? His face is on the ground. I'm not going to do it. I, started, I thought about, well, I'll just do it. I'll lay down on the ground. But maybe I better not because I might not get up. But anyway, he's laying down, right? His face is on the ground. It's like, he's, it's like he's passed out because of the power of this being. But then notice, then behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. Now, who is this? Is this somebody else? Or is this the being above the water? I'm, I, how I interpret it? This is an angel who's come with Jesus and he comes over to Daniel and he touches him. And notice what he says. He, and he, behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. Can you picture him? He's on all fours. My hands and knees on the ground. And then the angel said, he said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, Understand the words that I'm about to tell you and stand upright for I have, I have now been sent to you. And when he spoke this word to me, I stood up trembling. Can you see Daniel? He finally gets standing up and he's like this. And he sees, I, I think he sees Jesus above the water and I think he sees this angel standing right there. And this angel says, I've been sent to you. By the way, Daniel is called high a man of high esteem. Daniel is highly respected by the angels. He's a man of God. He's one whose life was set apart for God. And by the way, the Hebrew word that's used there for high esteem has an idea. Are you ready for this? Precious. You are a precious person is what they're saying. But it means valuable. It means, Daniel, you are valuable. You are highly esteemed. Even among the angels, the angels would say, boy, that Daniel... What a man. What a man of God. And so this angel says, you are highly esteemed. And then he said to me, don't be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this, on humbling yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. Now, when did Daniel start praying? How long ago? Three weeks, 21. He says, don't be afraid, Daniel. From the first day you set your heart on understanding this, and on humbling yourself before God, your words were heard. Let me ask you something. When you pray, are your, are your words heard when you pray to God? Yes or no? 
Yes, he hears everything. He knows everything. He can answer any prayer any way he wants to. When you pray according to his will, he always does it. God hears every prayer. While you're in the, uh, the, while you're lifting up your prayer, he is answering your prayer. It may be no, and it may be yes, and it may be wait. But he's answering your prayers. And this angel said to Daniel, when you started praying 21 days ago, the answer was sent. We heard you, and I have come in response to you. Now, here's my question. Uh, how long did it take for the angel to get there? How long? 21 days. I thought they're faster than that. You know what I mean? I mean, I thought they were better than UPS. I mean, I thought they could do it, right? So you get this thing, and you pray to God, and God's going to send the answer. I, if, if the angel was sent in response, he said... When God heard your words, I have come in response to your words. And we say, well, why, why would it take so long? What stopped him from coming? Look at the next verse. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael... One of the chief princes came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. What are we talking about? He, this angel seems to be saying that I would have got here sooner, but this other angel, which we'd say is a bad angel because the prince of the kingdom of Persia was stopping me for 21 days. And then he says, and Michael came to help me. You know who Michael is? Who's Michael? He's the archangel. Let me tell you, he's the top angel. If you got Michael, you don't need anything. You got Michael, he's the archangel. Gabriel is the messenger angel. And Lucifer is the son of the morning, the devil. We don't have very many angels named at all in the Bible. They're sometimes called seraphim and, 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 and cherubs, cherubim. That, that's the types of angels. But the angels that we have names given are Michael and Gabriel and Lucifer. And some say that this is the messenger angel Gabriel who's talking to Daniel and he says, I would have been here sooner, but for 21 days, some angel over Persia has tried to stop me and Michael came to help me. Do you realize that there's a spiritual battle going on that we have no idea of? Do you think there are demons in Russia and North Korea and America and the United States and South America? In Africa, do you think there are demons out there? Do you think that there are demons that attempt to control and harm peoples and nations? It seems to be right here. I mean, I've always said, oh yeah, there's, there's the, the, the fallen angels and God, you know, angels want to affect you, want to affect you personally. But what about, what about nations? What about kings? What about rulers in this world? Do you think our rulers are being affected and can be affected by demonic enforcers. And, and, and who do we have? Who's fighting for, who's fighting against these people? Michael. Gabriel. He says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia was standing me. He was stopping me for 21 days. And then Michael came to help me. For I had been left there with the kings of Persia. This angel, whoever it is, and maybe Gabriel, uh, it has been dealing with the Persian empire probably for good. And this other prince of the kingdom of Persia was doing for bad. What a battle. Do we realize that there's a spiritual battle going on that we don't even see? You understand that in this room right now, there are spiritual spirit beings. 
and probably bad spirit beings and good spirit beings in this room right now. Let me tell you, when we give a clear grace gospel message, Satan hates it and despises it and would love for us to say anything other than faith alone, Christ alone for eternal life. Just wait. How do we deal with spiritual forces? Let me tell you what we do. We realize that God's angels are in conflict with fallen angels. We're not fighting the angels. Good angels are fighting the bad angels. I want you to understand that we're not fighting Satan and his angels. The battle of the Lord's, he uses his own angels to fight them, as we see in this passage. And number three, put on the armor of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, he says, put on the armor of God and then draw near to God. And as we draw near to God, we can resist the devil. We're not fighting the devil. I can still remember years ago, I went to speak at a place on campus one time, and it was a group of college students, and they had a band playing, and then I was going to speak. They asked me to come speak. But the band played a song. The kids were singing this song, and the song was called, We're Going to Stomp All Over the Devil. That was the song. And the song said, We're going to go find Satan, and we're going to stomp all over him. And I'm thinking to myself, Don't go after him. He's much more powerful than you can ever imagine. You do not want to mess around with Satan. In fact, the Bible says, put on the armor of God and draw near to God. You resist the devil by the armor of God. You're not going and looking for Satan. Let me ask you this, and we talk about this some in our, in our grow groups. What is Satan's plan for mankind? Have you ever thought about that? What does he want to do? Well, first of all, for the unbeliever, he wants to keep the unbeliever from ever trusting in Jesus Christ as Savior. He doesn't care what you do as long as you don't believe that Jesus Christ gives you eternal life. He doesn't care if you're religious. He doesn't care if you go to church. In fact, he probably wants you to go to church where you're thinking that by going to church or doing good that somehow you're going to please God. And so he says, that's fine. Just keep on doing that. As long as you think that, everything's fine. See, religion is from the devil. Christianity is not religion. Religion is man trying to do something to please God. Christianity is God pleasing God. God so loved the world, he gave his son. Christianity is not religion. Religion is from the devil. Religion is man-made, where man says, do this, do this, do this, do this, and you can get the God. And Satan loves religion. It's from him. That's what he does for unbelievers. What does he do for us? What does he want to do? He wants to stop us from serving. Any way he can stop you. If if he'll get you in a conflict with somebody, he'll get you with a conflict with somebody and you quit doing what you're doing, or he can do, whatever he wants to do, however how he can stop you from serving. He can get you into a hobby that takes up all your time. It doesn't matter. Whatever he can do. So what do we do? How do we have victory? We draw near to God. We put on the armor of God. We let God deal with Satan. We, as James says, resist the devil by the armor. When we put on the armor, he will flee. We draw near to God. He will leave you alone when you put on the armor of God because you're standing for Jesus Christ. That's the plan. So he's trying to stop believers. He's trying to stop unbelievers. He wants unbelievers never to believe. He wants the believers never to serve. So stand strong. There is a spiritual battle going on, not only in your life individually, but this whole world and with nations. So look what he goes on to say. He says, now I've come. Why does he come? Look at verse 14. I've come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to the days yet future. And so he says, I've come to give you understanding about your people, the people of the Jews. He says, in the latter days, and this is all the way to the end of the tribulation. And then he says, and the days that are yet 
future, that's the near. So what we're going to see in this vision is what's going to happen to Israel in the next three to 400 years after Daniel, and then it's going to go all the way to the end times, to the time of the tribulation, to the time of the Antichrist, and he's going to give information in Daniel 11 once again about the man of sin and the Antichrist. So we're going to see a lot. So look what happens. When what this being is talking to Daniel, look what happens. When he had spoken to me, according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. So what happened again? All of a sudden, he goes, and he can't talk anymore. And so look what happens. And behold, the one who resembled a human being was touching my lips. So the angel came and touched his lips. And I opened my mouth and I spoke and said to him who was standing before me, Oh, my Lord, as a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me and I have no strength. He says, you're telling me about this vision. You're telling me about what's to happen. And I, I, I just can't do it. And then he goes on to say, And how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? Now, whether he's talking about Jesus above the water or whether he's just saying, I have not gone talk to even to this angel. He says, as for me, there remains just now no strength in me nor any breath that's left in me and then look what happened then this one with human appearance touched me again that's the third time and strengthened me wow and then he says this oh man of high esteem precious man do not be afraid peace be with you take courage and be courageous and as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength and said, may my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. See, he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. The angel told Daniel, don't be afraid. And we should never be afraid. Why? Because God is in control and he's never going to leave us or forsake us. And regardless of what spiritual stuff is going out there, things we can't even see and the things we can see, we don't have to be afraid because he'll never leave us or forsake us. What was that song? Never once? Never once have we ever been alone? I remember when we started this church, that was our theme song. Never once, because he's been with us all the way through in everything we've ever done. Been right there with us. And so he says to Daniel, don't be afraid. I love this. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. And so Daniel says, now, okay, okay, I can talk. I'm ready. I'm ready. And then he said, do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. He's going back to fight another angel. And so I'm about to go forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. You remember? After the Babylonians were the Medio Persians, and after the Persians were the Greco Macedonians, he's saying an angel dealing with the Greek nation is coming. Have you ever thought about what's, what's influencing our nation? Good angels, bad angels. What's there? Who knows? Would you say? that the United States is the greatest nation on the face of the earth? Would you say the United States is the freest nation on the, grace, uh, on the face of the earth? Would you say that the United States gives more away than everybody else combined? We do. We're the greatest nation on the face of the earth. Somebody wants to stop this nation from being great. And it's the demonic forces out there that we're seeing in the book of Daniel. Pray for our country. Pray for our leaders. So he says, do you understand why I came? But now I'm going to return to fight against the prince of Persia. And so I'm going forth and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, however, I will tell you what is inscribed. Now, I love this. I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. He's fixing to say, I'm fixing to tell you the message that is a true message dealing 
with the nation of Israel in the future. That's what he's going to do. And then he says, yet nobody stands firmly with me against these forces except who? Michael, the archangel. And so as we look to chapter 11, he's going to actually begin to tell Daniel what's coming in the future. So we've seen that Daniel has this vision from God and he's sad because, uh, because the, the whole situation and the people didn't go back and everything. And then an angel comes and says, I, I tried to get here sooner, but I've been fighting another angel and I just now got here. Michael's been helping me. I'm about to give you this information. And once I give you this information, I'm going back to fight some more angels. And next time we'll see the information. So let me give you some applications. He says, let's take the time to understand end-time events. Let's do it. And listen, you're going to have to study Daniel and Revelation. You can, if, if you want to, touch, read the book of Daniel that we've been going through. Start looking at the book of Revelation. They actually go together. There's so many other places like Matthew 24 and 25 and First and Second Thessalonians and Ezekiel and Isaiah and, and Zechariah chapters 12, 13, and 14. All of those places in the Bible deal with end-time events. But you can take and say, I'm going to try to put together Daniel and Revelation and see how these end times fit. It will, knowing he's in control. And listen, here's the second. Rest in the word of God. The word of God is alive and powerful and sharpening to its sword. It's what you base your life on. It's always what we do. And this is what Daniel, and this is, this is the truth. Remember he said, I'm going to give you the writing of truth. You have in your hand the writing of truth. That's the word of God. Now, the second thing just to think about is just let's realize we're in a spiritual warfare. We are. We're in a spiritual warfare. So we've got to trust God to deal with the demons. You don't go fight them. Trust God to deal with them. Put on the armor of God as a defense. We're not going to look for demons. You don't want to mess with them. They're too powerful of beings. And, and, and let, let God and his, his good angels deal with those bad angels. And then finally, draw near to God. Maintain our relationship. In fact, put the emphasis... Make the emphasis knowing God, not fighting the devil. I know there's a lot of Christians that think we're going to name and claim and we're going to fight the devil and we're going to bind Satan and all that. You just want to stay away from him. You want to get close to God. You want to draw near to him, put on the armor of God, and stand strong. Next time we see the prophecy.